Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About God, episode eight. Um, this is part two of our previous episode where we're talking about salvation from the Wesleyan Arminian perspective. So I just want to encourage you, um, if you haven't listened to that first podcast, part one, which is just the previous podcast, go ahead and give it a listen. Um, I'm thinking it's it's almost going to be necessary just to have the proper context for this episode. So if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and check that one out, then come back to this one. That way you get just the most full understanding possible of this discussion, you'll see the foundation that we laid um, and how we've gotten to the discussion that we're going to have on this episode today. And we've been throwing out a lot of names, um, you know, Arminius and Wesley and Calvin and all of these different people. And I know that on the previous episode, we really re- uh, referenced Wesley a lot. Um, just to give you kind of a um, just a quick uh, understanding of who he is, his name is John Wesley. Um, he lived in the 1700s and ministered. He was officially a part of the Church of England his whole life, but maybe you didn't know this. He was actually the founder of Methodism. So if you've um, heard of the Methodist Church, John Wesley founded that. Maybe you've heard of the hymns of Charles Wesley. Um, wasn't it Charles who wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing? I'm almost positive Charles Wesley wrote that, that super popular Christmas song. I don't know. I'm going to look it up, but I'm almost positive that he did. Um, oh, Dad's looking it up now. But John and Charles, Charles uh, primarily was the hymn writer, and John was the passionate revivalist and preacher. And so he was a part of the Church of England, but his parents had an interesting theological background, and um, and he really explored a lot. It wasn't him? It was him! Charles did write, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So you've heard of the Wesleys before, even if you didn't know it. Um, but he had uh, just an interesting perspective, and he became the founder of Methodism. And this is because of his passion for evangelism and his passion for making true converts um, in his day. What he saw was that there were a lot of people, um, a lot like today, who were going to church who were living life, but they weren't really living for God. They weren't living passionately for him, living holy lives for him. And so John actually started this revival in England where he would preach at churches. He would preach at Christian universities. I mean, he was seeing so-called professed Christians get saved who had just been doing religion and living life and going to church and saying that was enough and then challenging them to evangelize and to live a holy life. And because of their methods, their method of just um, the the Christian life, their method of evangelism, they'll go stand out in a field because eventually a lot of the churches and universities kicked them out. (laughs) They would just go preach in a field or something. They got labeled Methodist and then just owned it. And then later on, they became an official official denomination. So we see like the United Methodist Church today. But John started that, him and his brother Charles. Um, and you have the Wesleyan Church. You have the Wesleyan Church, which is kind of an offshoot of the Methodist Church right. um, based on the, the teachings of John Wesley. And then if you are part of um, uh, maybe like a Southern Baptist Church, um, not all of them, but or a Pentecostal church, or a Methodist Wesley Church, Wesleyan Church, um, you've got a, a, a lot of your, your theological background. Most likely um, has 
been brought forth from John Wesley, whether you know it or not. But um, I know you mentioned the last podcast, we've come from the holiness movement. Um, well, a lot of that was revived and preached by John Wesley. We've talked about Arminianism, which is the idea um, of, you know, of conditional election that you have to have faith in Christ. God didn't predestine you um, certain people to be saved with no choice in the matter. John didn't necessarily come up with that theology, but he was a major, major proponent of it. So we see a lot of our theological heritage come from this revival movement called the Methodists, started by John and Charles Wesley. Yeah, and um, we owe a lot to these guys, and and like any anybody, they were— uh, you know, this came out of the Reformation, so they they were working their way through theology, and so you take you don't always take everything they wrote. You mm-hmm. take most of bits what they pieces, wrote, yeah. bits of, you know, or a lot of it. Well, actually, yeah, a yeah, lot, of, lot it. of it. But you you sometimes they would get a little far fetched, and so you you would say, okay, well, no, we don't don't necessarily believe that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so what when we say that we're we're adherents generally to the Wesley and Arminian. Thought process it, it, again. That is generally, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, we fall in that line rather than John Calvin and what, what is known as the Reformed. And at the end of the day, kind of like we talked to, is we owe a lot to John Calvin and Martin Luther lot. and the Protestant Reformation. The idea of we've been saved by grace alone, through, through faith. faith alone, yeah. Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, in Christ alone. All of that. We talk about um, our our podcast on atonement. Um, that view of atonement was was advocated by Martin Luther and John Calvin. The idea of a substitutionary atonement. Um, that that you know, uh, what am I trying to say? That the penal satisfaction view. We owe that to them and to their writings and their teachings. That's why Arminius considered himself to be reformed. Calvin said he's been the hair's breadth of Calvinism. We, we've got a lot, a lot in common um, with a lot of these people, and then there are just certain things that we disagree on. Right, exactly. So, well, as we hop into um, the podcast today, um, here's where we're picking up. We ended last podcast with coming to the conclusion that salvation is conditional. That is, um, you have to meet the condition of faith in Christ, that God hasn't um, predestined certain people to be saved and other people um, to not be saved. Um, but in fact, he has restored a measure of free will to us because of his grace. And now we can choose to be saved based on faith in Christ. Yeah, you're not unconditionally chosen for salvation. So exactly. when we talk about conditional election, is not is not randomly God said, "I pick you and you and you and you," but you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to mm-hmm. hell. That's not unconditional. There, it's everybody can be saved. Yep. Uh, and and so there's no uh, no conditions. The only condition is faith. Yeah. Is it's whosoever will. Yeah. Exactly. But you must you know believe. And so because of that, we talked about a lot of um, practical application through that, and we talked about a lot of what that means for our, our lives. But as we get into this podcast, um, here's where we're going to see some major um, practical implications of this belief system, that your faith is based on the con- your your salvation is based on the condition of faith. So, like we said, um, we don't want this to be a um, Calvinism versus Arminianism. We just want to give our viewpoint, but it does help to kind of put that c- compare it up against it 
at some times. So there's the idea in Calvinism and what we've seen today that in um, uh, a lot of other denominations, I believe the Southern Baptist denomination, some other denominations, there's this idea of unconditional eternal security. And so this means that after you get saved, you are guaranteed um, that you will always be saved. And so there's some different interpretations of this. From Calvinism, this naturally extends from the idea that God's chosen you to be saved, and there's nothing you can do about it. Logically, it flows that if God's chosen you, he can't, he's not going to unchoose you. He, he's made his decision, and so you will be saved. Um, and then there are some other denominations who are primarily Arminian, Arminian who believe that you know, you've got to meet the condition. God hasn't pre-selected certain people to be saved. Yet they hold to this idea that once you're saved, you will never become unsaved, that it is impossible, that you absolutely could not do that. Um, We have to address that today because from our belief system, if it is true that God has restored a measure of free will to us, that we're saved based on the condition of faith, logically and scripturally it shows that actually it's possible to give that faith back. Yeah, and we want to make sure um, that we're giving – let's cover the whole spectrum, in other words. So you've covered this side of the spectrum. You also have had, especially in the holiness movement, you might as well say even into the holiness Pentecostal movement, Mm -hmm. and you might – well, just say the holiness movement. You've had had it almost swing the other way where you get saved. uh, They'll preach you're saved by faith through grace – but now to stay saved, you got to do all these things, these do's and don'ts, and and you got to. And if you don't, oh, you're you're not saved anymore. Just like one yep. sin, boom, you're out, and you got to get back and repent. And so that's why you've had people in the holiness movement lived in insecurity, mm-hmm. thinking, I mean, I don't, I don't think I, I I live all day, and I'm trying to live right. Now oh, I messed up on one thing, and oh, now I'm not saved. Yep. And so now you've got a, a, a fanaticism over here. This is, is you're you're saved by faith, but your salvation's upheld by your works, works. right? Yeah. And today, what we're going to talk about is, uh, if we put it in a nutshell, and we can dive into it, is you are saved by faith through grace, but you are also continuing your salvation all the way to glorification by faith. Yep. What what and to use a term that keeps us where we want to be is there has to be a steadfastness. In the mm-hmm. faith that you started with, you got to finish it. You must continue in the faith. Stay steadfast and continue in the faith mm-hmm. that you started with the day you were saved, all the way until you die or until Jesus comes. Yeah, it's the just, and this will be that you'll hear us say this more than once today. The just shall live by faith. Faith, yeah. faith is not just an incident for salvation. Faith is a lifestyle of the one who has been born again. Faith is not a one-time prayer at an altar somewhere, and then you're done. Faith must continue. It must go on. Um, and as we'll see, it must bear fruit right. as well. And so as we, as we hop into this, here's the idea, is that our security, our security is in Christ. Your salvation is upheld by your faith. We'll go through a, a number of scriptures real quick. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure... Endure, wow, that was super Southern. If we endure, 
We will also <laughs> reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Matthew twenty four thirteen. the one who endures to the end will be saved. We know that Paul warns the Corinthians against sin. He, he uses Israel as an example in 1 Corinthians 10, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So there we see that we have to endure to the end, and that Paul says that it's necessary that you examine yourself, that you take heed, that you look at yourself so that you do not fall. First um, Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if, condition there, if, you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And finally, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 4. Paul is concerned that the, the church um, in Galatia is turning to a different gospel. He said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul is concerned that they are given in to the Judaizers who says, yes, you have to have faith in Christ, but also your faith is upheld by your works through circumcision, through obedience to the law and ceremonies and different things we find in the Old Testament. So what we're seeing here through all these scriptures is that we have to endure to the end and that we have to uphold our faith. We have to examine ourselves, make sure that we stay in the faith and that we never try and um, either get rid of the faith and depart from a faith or we never try to add works to our salvation. Yeah, and and I'm just sitting here making some notes while you're talking um, because to me, Evan, there's two thoughts here. Um, and, and, and one would be positive, one would be negative, and I want us to talk about them for a little bit. Uh, so let's talk about the positive is um, these scriptures that you read. So if we endure and if we endure and then Paul talks about um, um, uh, continuing on in the faith. Okay, so there is the walk of faith. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute. That's the positive. So the walk of faith is – um, that I'm saved by grace through faith, that the just shall live by faith, which was one of the, the key words, if I remember, the Reformation. That was one of the cries, the big cry, and that that is one of the major scriptures of the Bible because it's used in the Old Testament and New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, is that, but the just, those who are declared righteous, okay, which means you've already exercised faith to be saved. You with me? Mm-hmm. The just, okay, so I started in faith, I'm saved by grace through faith, shall now live the life after the day. I, the day I get saved, the next day, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, I live my life by faith. Yeah. Okay, so the Christian life is a life of faith. It's a life of walking in the faith. It's it's trusting God and believing God for everything, including my salvation. Okay, so I'm walking in relationship with him trusting him, having confidence in him, uh, how does that flesh out? By obeying his word, 
Okay, because if I have faith, then I trust that his word is sure. And, and we'll so, really get into that in a few minutes right, when we talk about assurance. Right, assurance. But it's it's walking in faith. So that is such a critical thing. And I want to get back to this again. Your faith is expressed in your works. Okay, so um, if I'm saved, then I have been changed. I've been transformed. I've been glorified, uh, 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 or changed rather. Uh, I have been born again. Paul said, if any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. So salvation is transformative. Okay? It's, it, there's something radically different about me when I'm born again. I mean, that's the whole concept of being born again. Mm-hmm. So it's not reformation. It's transformation. And I think that is the starting point where I say, I'm different now. I'm not the person I was before. I'm not that sinner. Yeah. I'm somebody that has the life of Christ in me, and I'm going to walk out this life now. I'm not going to revert back to who I was. Now I've got to reprogram my mind, put off the old man, which is being corrupted by evil desires, be made new in the attitude of my mind. So I've got to start rethinking. I stop thinking like a sinner and start thinking like a saint and put on the new man, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. That's the call. The yeah. call is true righteousness and true holiness. That's the plan. That's the paradigm. That's that's the goal. Okay. So now my life of faith is to live in true righteousness and true holiness, to be like Jesus. So when people around me, whether it's my wife, my husband, my kids, my mom and dad, my coworkers, extended family members, when they look at me, they there's thing what they see and hear reminds them of Jesus. So so it's not just a one time and only one and done. It is now a journey. Yeah. A lifestyle where my faith then is played out of, of a life of holiness. That becomes the standard for God. Here's hey, look. We, we talked about the calling of God. We, we we said in the last episode, you could not be saved unless God calls you. God mm-hmm. takes the initiative. Okay. So we know there's the calling to be saved. And sometimes he does it through the gospel, you know, ultimately it's through the gospel. But this is the call. All right. Uh, for, for, there's another scripture that says, for, I think it's in Thessalonians, for God did not call us to uncleanness. Okay, so when I get saved, I can't live a sinful life. I can't live a life where I'm disobeying the word of God. But, but, so God has not called us to uncleanness, but God has called us to holiness. Yeah. So the standard of living has changed for me. I'm now called to be a holy person, and that means to be set apart from sin unto God. You understand? Yeah. So the reason why we talk about this security, and again, I don't want to get into a debate today. We're we're not here for that. But the 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 belief that once you're saved, you're secure, you're in a priori guarantee. You're in, you're in, baby. Doesn't matter how you live, you're in. Doesn't square up with the multitude of scriptures that says no. You've been changed, you've been transformed, and there should be within you now this 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 desire, this motivation, this compulsion that I don't want to be who I used to be because I'm not who I used to be. Mm-hmm. I want to serve God. I want to talk right. I want to live right. I want to do what's right. I'm. It bothers me if I do wrong. And if I do wrong, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm convicted. And the Spirit says, I didn't change you. We didn't change you to to be that. Yeah. I changed you to be like Jesus. 
And and was it was it Paul who said if you continue to live in disobedience, you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes. Because that's not God's intention for you. Paul tells us if Christ is seated above, to fix your mind, to fix your eyes on what is above where Christ is seated, to live your lives as people who are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of their creator. There it gets go. back to Adam and Eve. We were created to reflect the image of God, which includes morality. And God is restoring that piece by piece. That's what we would call progressive sanctification. Every day I'm looking more and more like Jesus. Right. But when you're saved, you're positionally sanctified. You are set apart from sin unto God. But then there is that progress. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. One day, hallelujah, we will be glorified. Exactly. And that which is perfect will come. I love exactly. I love to use that. I use it in the last episode to use it again. And so and so there's now here's something else I want to talk about. Um, and I know you and I prior to this episode were trying to work on the semantics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Faith is an expression of your works, and what you read. Wait, did you I get mean, that backwards? Faith, right, right. <laughs> Hold on, well, let's work, works, works is expression of your faith. faith. Let me get yeah. it right. I was, I was looking at my notes and got distracted. <laughs> and and so, works is an expression of your faith. Yeah, let's get that clear. Um, we're preaching heresy. <laughs> yeah, today. No. Um, but you you use scriptures. You you emphasize if just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. If okay, there are numerous passages in the Old Testament that are if passages, all right? If is a conditional preposition. If you do this, then this will happen. If a condition is met, then there's a result, cause and effect. You cannot get away from that. The writers use these, okay, so if you do this, you just read a scripture that says you're saved, you're born again, your life has been changed, and it's going to keep on being this way if you do something. Okay, so what is the something? Well, this is where we got to be careful. The something is if you, and this is why we said at the beginning of the pocket, if you remain steadfast in the faith, yeah. don't walk away from the faith. So this is where you and I work on the semantics. We know that, you know, that we're being careful with the conditions, but there are conditions. There are conditions in the Bible to be met. If mm-hmm. you are going to live for Jesus, let's go ahead and say it. There are conditions that, well, that shouldn't bother us. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, God gave conditions in the old law. It was called the Ten Commandments. Yeah. In the covenant, there were conditions to be met, okay? But they were moral, okay? So what my point is, there are moral conditions now, and there are things that we have to do. But it's not about works, so what we're not saying is that God's given me works conditions to be met, that that's what keeps me saved. And that's where the criticism comes for the Wesleyan Arminian thought. We're not saying that. Okay, what we're saying is if I'm saved and I have been radically changed and I'm a different person with the life of Christ and I'm in Christ, then these conditions are what are expected of a transformed being. I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to say is that the condition is faith, but true faith always must, has to result in works. Like we were talking about James, he said, faith without works is dead. Dead. It's dead faith. So if works don't follow faith, well, we would conclude there's no faith there. We, we saw Abraham, Abraham in his life, um, you know, he's stepping out in faith. He's obeying God. He's leaving his homeland. He's leaving all of this. But the biggest, greatest expression of his faith, and, and, and James talks about this, is when he goes to sacrifice Isaac. 
Because God has told him, I'm going to give you a son. Well, finally, he has this son born, like, miraculously, supernaturally. He's told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he tells Abraham to take his one son and to go kill him, to end what seems like the only way that he's going to have a great nation come from him. But Abraham's faith is so good at this point that he believes if he kills his own son, God will just raise him up. God will give him a new son. God will do whatever. Like, Well, I guess it has to come through Isaac. But God will resurrect him. Resurrect and so him. there's so much faith there that, that Abraham goes to do it. He follows through, and God counts that faith as righteousness. But it was works. But it wasn't. It was his faith um, being expressed through works. Because at the end of the day, like we talked about last episode, what you believe results in behavior. And it's if you really believe that Jesus is Lord, if you really believe that he saved you, he will transform you. And then you really believe that his holiness, that his moral law, that his standards for life are good and are true, and you will do everything you can to follow that and, and, and live for him. Let's just stay here a while. I, I, I preach and I teach, and I think this is so important, that when you get saved, you accept Jesus not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. Mm-hmm. He has to be the king. You enter into the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God, which means if I am born again, then I become a member of the kingdom. What does that mean? I have a king over me. Yeah. So I have to trust my king. And kings give edicts and commands, and so I have to do what the king tells me to do. Okay, so there, so for me to stay in relation with this king, then, then he's going to tell me to do things. If I have faith and confidence and trust in him, then I do what the king tells me to do. Okay, you can just keep going on. When Noah built the ark, he had faith in God that God was going to save him, but there was a condition for this to work. I need you to build an ark. I'll take care of the rest. But I'm asking you, but that condition was I'm trusting God that if I build an ark, God will protect me. Did did the ark save him? No. God told him to do this, so God used the ark. Yeah. He just was cooperating with God. It's the same way. We have been called to live transformed lives, and and when we live those lives, then then that's that's a condition, okay, that that keeps the faith— Keeps us that shows that we're keeping in the faith. I want to be careful of the semantics. And so when I don't sin, I'm trusting God. Yeah. Okay. When I do what's right, like you said, I understand this is the best plan. I'm trusting God. At the end of the day, we could take everything to Adam and Eve. Humanity was never created to only be positionally righteous. We were always created with a perf- with a purpose. Right. Like when we talk about the kingdom of God, Adam and Eve were not just created to. Um, live sinless. We were not created to just not eat of the tree. We were created for a purpose, to go out, to take dominion over the the animals, to treat the animals as God would treat them, to treat the earth as God would treat them, to be fruitful and multiply. We were called to be God's representatives on the earth, which means to do God's work, to look like him, to represent him in the things that we do and we do not do. And so the idea that God is restoring his kingdom, but he is not asking us to live a life of obedience with him, I don't believe is faithful to scripture. It's not a true restoration of the kingdom of God and the image of God in us. We were always created to be an obedient people, to represent God and how we act what we say, and what we do. And if Christ isn't calling us 
for a repurposing of that to not just be positionally righteous, but to go and do, then we're not restored to what we were before the fall. And and go back even before those uh, those purposes, the number one purpose God created him, Adam and Eve was for relationship. So mm-hmm. the relationship of just walking in relationship with him, you know, and so we talk about because where where all this goes is is then um where does sin come into place? That's why you're not supposed to sin. John wrote in First John, I write these things to you, brethren, that you do not sin. So we know that not sinning is part of the walk of faith. I'm yeah. trusting God to walk in righteousness and obedience to his command. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say then is that um, there should be a steadfastness in the faith. And that is a condition, whether we have to accept that, that the faith I've begun in, I have to finish with it. Um, and one of the passages of Scripture that to me is so clear of this is Col- Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And in that passage, um, Paul has this just powerful moment of, of just declaration. And basically what he says is, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, so that's what we were, B.C., mm-hmm. before Christ, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. So there, through, so that's salvation through mm-hmm. the death of Jesus. Um, and we would know that would, they would be saved by grace through faith to present you holy. So why did Jesus die? And why have, why have I been reconciled to God? To present me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. There's that standard. So why have I been saved? To live this life of holiness, to live above sin. Yeah. To live a life that reflects Jesus. But then the next verse says, if, if, there's your condition, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Yeah. So we, we can segue into part two here is you are to be steadfast in the faith. Okay, that's what's so important. So that's why holiness preachers say live right, serve God, keep trusting God, keep sin out. Keep short accounts with God. Do Grow in the Lord. If you mess up, say, God, forgive me and teach me. Help me to do better. Help me to be better. It's not just do better, be better. But I think we get into this. You can walk away. Mm-hmm. Hey there, we hope you're enjoying the episode today. We just wanted to take a break and let you know about some resources that you can use if you want to further your understanding of Wesleyan Arminian salvation, uh, the idea of salvation in that perspective, and how you can go deeper in this topic. There are a few amazing resources out there. So I'm just going to name off several books that you can purchase that um, may challenge you but are easy enough to read and are short enough to get through in about a week or two and to really learn from them. One of them is Classical Arminianism, The Theology of Salvation by F. Leroy Fourlines. Um, here he goes into some of the deep topics and arguments about um, grace, free will, um, and how God has saved us. Um, another one that is similar to this where he goes into just the, the 
deep theological background uh, tackles some specific texts in the Bible. And this is probably my favorite. The one I would recommend the most is Grace, Faith, and Free Will by Robert E. Piccarelli. This book is fantastic. If you are looking to get a deep read, um, but still understandable on why we believe that God restores a measure of free will and why we believe in conditional election, this book does it. It explains it in a deep, understandable, and theological way couple other books to help you, especially understanding um, Arminius and Wesley, um, is a book called Arminian and Baptist, and this is by J. Matthew Pinson, and this sort of gives a background of the various theologians throughout history who believe what we believe and how they arrived there. So you get a mixture of history and theology. And then finally, there's one um, that I am... I am currently reading, so um, I don't want to. I don't want to recommend it too early. But if you want to read along with me, so far I have enjoyed it, and I know that um, this is a well-respected work. It's called "The Theology of John Wesley: Holy Love and the Shape of Grace" by Kenneth J. Collins, and here he tackles all of what John Wesley believed, um, not just in regards to salvation and predestination, but if you want to learn more about what John Wesley believed, that um, is an excellent resource so far as I'm reading it. And finally... We want to give you one last book. Um, This is actually by a Church of God theologian. The title is Unconditional Eternal Security, Myth or Truth by French Arrington. French Arrington is a Church of God theologian. He is a well-respected thinker. And um, Dad actually used that in preparation for our podcast today. So we want to go ahead and recommend that book as well. So feel free to dive into any of those books um, to get a deeper understanding. All of them are um, easy enough to read. They are very accessible. And I believe that you'll benefit a lot from them. All right, let's get back to the podcast. That's naturally where all of this is going. Right, which is to me part two is you can fall away, you can apostatize, you can backslide. Yeah, and I think these these require um, careful explanation. There are a lot of different views on this um, from the idea of apostasy and backsliding. So I say we just break them down. This is where it's it's extremely Wesleyan. Um, Arminius didn't have a particular position on this. He kind of went back and forth. Um, Wesley had a strong position, which is the one that we take today. Um, one, like we just talked about, you have to live right. That's what Wesley talked about. That was the key to his revival, was calling cold um, religion. What, what is referred to as antinomianism mm-hmm. is the idea that you can just you know have faith and not obey God. Um, he fought against that. And then here was his idea on apostasy and backsliding. Um, we see all these warning passages. We see the if. We see that our faith is, or, or, or our salvation is upheld by faith, so which means that you can give that faith back due to the warning passages. This is broken up in two different ways. We'll discuss them apostasy and blacks, backsliding. Let's talk about apostasy first. Um, what I believe we and what Wesley talks about in his sermon, A Call to Backsliders, is that apostasy is sort of a a high-handed, haughty, 
prideful, public, outright rejection of Christ. And this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. Um, what's going on in Hebrews is um, the, the, the unknown author is writing to a group of believers who have a Jewish background, and then there are the, the Jewish people of the day um, who aren't Christians who are giving them heavy, heavy persecution. And they are calling them to reject Christ, to denounce Christ, to say that Christ was a criminal, that he deserved his death, that he is not God, and that he got everything that was coming to him, and to completely denounce him, even though they knew in their hearts who Christ was. So the idea was, I know Christ I know who he is, that he is God, that he died for me, but in order to escape persecution, I'm going to publicly and pridefully reject him. And so here's what the author says in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and this is a warning passage that I think um, very, very much clears up and defends the idea um, that you can hand your faith back and apostatize. It says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. So this is very, very much clearly stating someone who has been saved. They are saved. This is not some other group or those who are fake saved. This is someone who's clearly been saved. And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So here's what Paul is saying, that in the context of publicly, um, intentionally saying that, that Jesus Christ is not God, that he deserves to be crucified, holding him up to contempt after having been saved, to high-handed do that, just escape persecution, your heart will be so cold, so hardened, so just um, seared by what you've done, it will be impossible for you to come back to Christ because of the decision that you've made. This is apostasy, and he's saying you will never come back to Christ because of how strong this decision is. Right, and I think, too, most scholars agree, you got to remember, this is the book called Hebrews, so it's written to Jewish believers. So that that always has to be taken in mind. I think it's very, very possible, most scholars believe this, that the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know if it was Paul or Timothy, there's debate, but the writer is writing to people who have either fallen away from Christianity and resorted back to Judaism or were being tempted Mm-hmm. And we know that this was an issue because the Judaizers, Judaizers came into every church, or a lot of the churches were Paul. That's the whole book of Galatians. He had to fight yeah. that. Yeah. So we know this was a real issue in the early church. And so what he's saying here is if you are going to fall away and totally reject Christ, which is what apostasy is, it's a rejection. I'm leaving the faith. I'm leaving. I don't Deliberately have, and intentionally. I'm not trusting Christ. I'm not trusting this whole Christian Jesus thing anymore. I'm going to go back to offering animal sacrifices in the temple. That's what's happening in this context. Then what he's saying is there's no way to get you to repentance through that method because Jesus has already died and every animal was a type or representation of his crucifixion. Basically what you're doing is you're just crucifying the Son of God again through an animal, but it's useless. Those days are over. So you're not going to be able to repent through that means. 
So there's another possible interpretation there. Yes. Is that yeah. is that you you can't repent. So you try to repent, but you you've left the faith, the old covenant, the old sacrificial system is ineffective. So you can't do that anymore. But but just to go back then, they've left the faith. They're trying to trust religion rather than trusting the the Christ that this religion pointed to, which eventually said, "Hey, here he is. We're done. Believe in Jesus." Yeah, and I and I would say for me, I I would I would take the position that that what the author is saying is you can't restore them again to repentance in Christ what they had before because it's the idea of falling away and restoring again. Um, that's just my personal interpretation of it. Um, there's a lot of ideas kind of thrown out there. Um, well, if they want to try to, yeah, I'm sorry, and, and if they want to try to, which the Judaizers did. That's why I said you look at the whole Bible; it kind of helps you. Some of them tried to create basically syncretism, which is where you take different aspects of religion and bring them together. And so they were trying to say, um, okay, you can you can serve Jesus, but you have to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. You can serve Jesus, but you have to go back and offer the sacrifices in the temple. And I think that you got some of that going there. And for Paul, that's apostasy. Yeah, It's the same thing. He said, that's not totally trusting Christ. That's so, what he was warning the Galatians about that we read earlier, that he said, you're, you're going to be falling away. You're going to be severed. Away. Right. You're severed off from Christ. So you can't mix it, yep. mix and mingle it. So that's why I said the, the writer of Hebrews uh, is, is kind of touching on that. And then the, the other Hebrews passage, Hebrews 10, which is kind of lengthy, but he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is your faith, Yep. which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Well, endurance is a form of faith. Yep. Okay? So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised? So Paul's saying there's endurance. There's endurance, okay, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But here, look, here we go. But my righteous one shall live by faith. The just shall, see, it goes back yep. to that. The just shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Mm. Okay, you can shrink back. Yeah. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, again, everything that you've been talking about is right there in that scripture is you're going to endure suffering, you're going to have trials, your faith is going to be tested. We don't shrink back. You can shrink back. Yep. You can. You can fall away. And that's the point is we have to accept that, that you can fall away, you can shrink back. I never say you lose your salvation. No, you never lose it under the couch. Like you wake up yeah. and go, honey, where did it go? Honey, where did my salvation go? I yeah. can't find it. <laughs> if you see my salvation, I think it's somewhere in the house. Yeah. I don't like it because a lot of times people on the other side of this argument say, well, y'all think you can lose your salvation. I don't like that. I don't ever say you can lose your salvation. No one can take it from you. No, but you can forsake it. Yes. You can deny it. You can reject it. You can give. If, if the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord, my Lord. The way I say it is I take the gift and I give it back to God. Yep, that's apostasy. Is I'm rejecting this. Here, I don't want this anymore. 
Yeah. And that's possible, uh, which which we're saying today we don't want you to do, but I mean, so... Yeah. And then as we continue on, um, you know, there's there's also this term backsliding. And um, just from a Wesleyan perspective, if we're just looking at it that way, he differentiates between apostasy and, and backsliding, that apostasy would be something that you so sear your conscience and... Um, and just create a stone cold heart that you won't repent again. But as far as backsliding goes, he says that um, you can backslide, which is where you return your faith, but you can come back. Um, and 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 here's how you could define backsliding. Um, this is a pr- a practical rejection of Christ as Savior. It's not as haughty. It's not as high handed. It is not as public. It is a practical rejection as of Christ as Savior and Lord as a result of an ongoing refusal to repent of sin. So the idea here is still um, a a handing back of faith. It is no longer trusting in Christ as my Savior and as my Lord, the one who directs my life and tells me how to live. But it is, um, I I think we could describe it as a little bit slower, a little bit um, more progressive. You begin to fall into it. It's bit by bit by bit. And then this happens, um, and it is a practical rejection of Christ. And this is where Wesley would say um, that you can be restored to repentance. And this is what we really talked about earlier when it comes to this holiness. Um, we know in John 15, the Father cuts off every person who does not bear fruit. Paul reminds the Corinthians um, that the the unrighteous, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. And the Corinthian church was a very sinful church. They had some some wild stuff going on, and he's reminding them, we don't live like that, because at the end of the day, those who, who live deliberate, unrighteous lives do not inherit the kingdom of God. No, and so uh, here's the thing. Apostasy, I'm going to try to use some terms here. I'm going to kind of use my own terms. Apostasy is where you're rejecting the, the totality of Christ and of salvation. Backsliding is where you're rejecting the the rule of Christ mm-hmm. in your life, okay, and, and usually in a particular area, maybe more than one, but a particular area. So apostasy, where it's just the whole Christian thing, I don't want anything to do. I'm turning my back. Total on. rejection. The backslider usually still keeps coming to church, reads his Bible, maybe, maybe not, but is still clinging to the to Christianity. But there's an area of his life that he is pulling out from no longer trusting God, no longer walking in faith, no longer walking the standard of holy. He's taken a sin and brought it into his life, and he's trying to sin but still live for Jesus. And there's a distinction here with a backslider. I would say this person's not ready to say, no, Jesus isn't Lord, or he didn't die and rise again. They're not rejecting key tenets of the faith. And I would say, too, um, going back to that loss of salvation, people like to use that term. This is not something that snuck up onto them. No. This is decision after decision after decision when the Holy Spirit convicts them, knocks on their heart, says you need to quit this or deal with this or whatever, and they, they basically push God out and say, no, God, I want this. Get out of here. I want right. to keep clinging on to this thought process, this sin, this whatever. And after repeated decisions, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, God gives you what you want. And he just kind of retreats back a little bit, and then you begin to hold on to that sin. And now you've seen a more methodical but still deliberate 
rejection of, of Christ as Lord. Right, and I think backsliding can ultimately do apostasy. And the difference is the backslider might still come to church. He might still keep his name on the roll, you know, depending on the church. He, he, um, he'll, he'll tell you, like you said, that he believes in all. He, I've had backsliders tell me, I know that God's God. I know that Jesus is a Savior. Mm-hmm. I know Jesus can forgive me. But then they'll say, but I just, I'm not ready. I'm just, or I'm, I, I'm, I can't let go of this sin. It's a bondage. It's really a form of bondage, but it's, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, somebody captured you. You made a willful decision yeah. time and time again. And that's the point is he's no longer the authority of your life. You've taken that part of your life. And you, so here's what, here's what the, like the Calvinistic would say. Well, then that means that you're going to, the seal's going to be broken, that you're sealed in Christ, that the Holy Spirit's going to be removed, that, um, your name will be taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, you're saying if you backslide, that all these things are going to happen, and as if they can't happen. Well, the reality is they can happen. Mm-hmm. The Bible says your name can be removed from the Lamb's Book of Life, from the Book of Life. So there is a there is a um, there is a possibility that you backslide, and and the 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 the, 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 the spirit goes out, and you're letting the sin come back in. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I want to talk about. So sometimes the Wesleyan Arminian thought is, okay, well, you guys, and I think we mentioned this in the last episode briefly. So if I sin, okay, I just have a lustful thought or I, I tell a lie in a moment, just in a moment of pressure. I didn't tell the truth. I knew I was going to get in trouble. But I told a lie. I'm, I'm not saved anymore. So the spirit left me. The seal's broken. And God went up there and erased my name of the book. Right? That's what you got. No, that's not what we're saying. Yeah. A lapse. A, a giving into a temptation, a failure to make a right moral choice, doesn't mean that you're not saved or that you're not. But I'll tell you what's happened is there's a serious issue in your life that has to be dealt with. And mm-hmm. my preaching has always been keep short accounts with God. Mm-hmm. Now, what I know from the Bible and from experience is when that happens, uh, it may not be right then because you might be enjoying the pleasures of a sin for a season. But when things settle down, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. He's in you. He's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, what you did was wrong. What you did, I don't agree with. I'm not happy with it. Mm -hmm. We can't leave this here. You're going to need to deal with this. you got to do something with this. And I want you to repent of this right now. And that's the moment where you have to decide. And if you say, you know, I'm sorry, you feel guilty, you have godly sorrow that's leading to repentance, you cry out for it. I write these things into you, brethren, that you don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, yeah. Jesus Christ, and if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. So there is provision made. What I like to talk about is incidental sins. It's going to happen. Okay, that's just part of live. We have this treasure and jars of clay. So we battle the flesh, we battle the devil, we battle the world, the three enemies, the the, the evil axis um, of our soul. But there is provision. Evan, what is the problem is when you get into the practice of sin. The when you habitual get, choice, choosing yes. to hold on to yourself. Habitual sin is when you are doing this over and over and over, and you're saying to Jesus, I don't, I'm doing this whether you want me to or not. It's that that, and usually what happens is that one sin goes into more sins, which goes into more mm-hmm. sins. So, so that's what we're talking about today is the possibility is there. Okay, but... Thank God, I guess we better talk about this, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us to say no to sin, Mm -hmm. say yes to God. With every temptation, there is a way of escape, the Bible says, 
and we pray every day, lead us not to temptations, but deliver us from evil. We have everything we need. And here's another thing, um, and I, I know when we did some studies, I mean, evidently with some Calvinism, there's the concept that you cannot live a day without sinning. I, I don't agree with that. I believe through the power. Boy, if that's the case, then God's not very strong, is he? <laughs> Poor God. He's just an impotent God. I just feel sorry for God. We're just pitiful. If I can't go all day without sinning, then what's the point of having God in me? I think the opposite is true. I think I could go all day doing what's right because of the power of the Word mm-hmm. and the power of the Spirit that's in me to help me be like Jesus and to change my life. That's good. And, and I think at the end of the day— um, you know, and as we head into our our final discussion, there's a difference between um, deliberately choosing to sin and a struggle with sin. If you can describe something as a struggle, um, I mean, there that then there you go. That's exactly what it is. It's something that you're working out that the Lord is working in you. That maybe you need to make some decisions to talk to somebody about get the help that you need, get some accountability, but you're saying, I do this, I don't want to do it, I consistently feel conviction and repentance, and then, you know, I don't want to do this, but something's kind of got a hold of me. Um, don't don't be like, well, I must not be saved, right? Even though you have the desire to go to church, to worship, to read the scriptures, to pray, to obey God in other ways, in other areas of your life. There's a difference between struggling with sin, that's the idea of progressive sanctification, that you're not made you know, all like Jesus in a moment, but you grow in him every day. And so, um, you know, don't freak out and go, well, I must not be saved because I've got this one struggle in my life. If you can legitimately, sincerely consider it a struggle, that's what it is. Now, do you stay there? Absolutely not. You begin taking steps to grow out of that. But there's a difference between loving your sin and holding on to your sin and defending your sin and then taking steps to gradually grow out of it. Exactly. Um, and finally, that kind of leads us into our discussion of the assurance of faith. Um, I think a lot of times what our perspective gets attacked with is we say, well, people mischaracterize us and say you can lose your faith, and they say, well, how can you ever be sure of your faith? Um, you must live your life every day freaking out, wondering, am I really saved? Is it possible to know you're saved? Like, um, you know, you, you must have such a shaky faith, a brittle faith. Um, in reality, this isn't true. Just because you don't hold to the doctrine of, you know, unconditional eternal security doesn't mean that you can't be sure and confident of your faith. John Wesley actually, um, he preached about this a lot. He was passionate about it. His favorite book was actually First John. And that, I mean, he loved that book. And First John is actually a book about assurance on faith. If you really look at it, um, he says in First John five thirteen, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. They were being taught um, all kinds of wacky philosophy, a philosophy called Gnosticism. They were being told all of these things. So they were beginning to doubt, is what we believe really true? And he's going, no, no, no. I can, I'm writing to you so that you know that you're saved. And as we look at the the book of First John, um, there are three key things that John points out that we can see if we're saved, um, and it's summarized towards the end of the book in First John five one through three, um, summarizing the three points of his book of assurance. He says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And so throughout the entire book of 1 John, the whole thing, it's very cyclical, you can see three main points, right believing, right living, and right loving. If you want to have assurance that you're saved, do you believe the correct things? Do you live right? Do you obey God's commandments? And do you love other people? And you see this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, who go, that goes on to believing, watch this, loves everyone who has been born of him. So you have to love other people, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. They're all intertwined and they're all connected. And, you, it, and if I remember right, I'm pulling this from memory. In the Greek, it's a present imperative, or it's 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 at least a present tense. So if I remember right, it's everyone who believes and keeps on believing. Yep. So it when is. we talked about th- th- that, it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. again. Just shall live by faith. Everyone keeps on believing that Jesus has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father keeps on loving the Father. Loves whoever's been born of Him. By this we know the love, and we and this love that we. I think we keep His commandments. Keep on keeping His commandments. So again, faith is expressed in a daily living, in a lifestyle, and I, I love that, Evan. Right believing, right living, right loving. That's it. It's so clear, and John gives us a reasonable expectation that we could examine our lives and with confidence say, I'm saved. And, Jesus has changed me. And then, so you've got that, and then you've got Romans eight sixteen. Which this I, is key. This oh, is key. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Yeah, And I wrote a book, as you know, called When the Natural Meets the Supernatural, and I talk about this in the book. And I do talk about the fact that I don't need a, a, a man-made doctrine mm-hmm. to assure me of my salvation. I have the presence of the third person of the Godhead living inside of me. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he is the one. His presence is the one that assures me mm-hmm. that I am a son of God. If you're a woman, that you're a daughter of God. My spirit is joined with the Holy Spirit. He who is one with the Lord is one with him in spirit, the Bible says. So there was a joining and regeneration of my spirit with the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. But that's powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So he is not just loosely inside of me. He is He is merged with my spirit. Yeah. You know, Jesus said that they may be one, as the Father and I are one, that they may be one in us. I'm talking about there's a union that took place. The doctrine of the union with Christ, a key doctrine. We are one. We are one with Christ. And so his presence alone is how I know um, that he's with me. And I know we talked about Wesley had that experience at Aldersgate. That was a yeah. big deal. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Yeah. My heart was strange. What was happening was the Spirit of God was coming mm-hmm. in, and he brings life. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we have the assurance. We have the Word of God, which assures us. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, which assures us. And so from the outside in, if the devil says, you're not saved, or I, I'm, I you, know, you know, my worst, you know, I, I don't need the devil. I'm you. I don't need the devil accusing me, which he does. I'm usually pretty hard on myself. Are yeah. you like that when you mess up? Mm-hmm. I, I'll beat myself down. I mean, I'll beat. But but what I do is I go back to the word, and I repent, 
and I, and I read and I realize that God forgives. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen. Yeah. And I realize that, that he hasn't cast me away, and he still loves me, and he's forgiven me, and he restores me, just like he did Peter when Peter f- failed. He, God's a restorer. He's a God of a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. And then I just say, help me, God, to grow. And then, then if I'm still struggling, the Holy Spirit inside of me says to me, Hey, you're still a child of God. Yeah. I mean, I've got the word on the outside, the spirit on the inside. That's more than enough. Yeah. To tell me that I am assured of who I am in Christ and my position in Christ and where I am in Christ. And I think for us practically, as we discuss these things, what we do want to say is it's not necessarily uncommon for you to doubt your faith, but as you steep yourself in scripture and what God has to say, as you grow in that, you grow in your confidence. Um, we talked about First John being about assurance. Listen to what John says, First John chapter 3, 19 through 22. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's what John's recognizing. He says, you can be saved and have your heart condemn you and doubt that you're saved. He said, but if you doubt, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. Actually, God knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows your right living, right loving, your right belief. You can still be saved. It's possible, but... I'm writing this because I want to assure you, I want to get you into confidence with God. And I think the problem with today is we're very feelings-focused um, generation and, and culture that we say what we feel must be truth. When in reality, John is saying there's real objective truth that God knows, but your heart can lie to you. And the devil wants you to doubt your salvation. But um, there's a there's a common political commentator out there, um, and I just want to hijack his phrase. He says, facts don't care about your feelings. And what you need to do is you need to get get rid of your feelings, say, heart, quit lying to me, and get the facts. Get in the Word. Get in Scripture. Listen to what John says in 1 John. Listen to Romans that says, the Spirit testifies to my spirit. Steep yourself in that and realize God wants to overcome your doubt and give you confidence. And why? Because when you live a life full of confidence, then you approach God full of faith, full of assurance. And John specifically points out prayer that whatever you pray according to God's will, it's going to be done. And the devil can't pull you of your salvation, but he can get you to doubt it. And if you're doubting salvation, then you're you're a weak, powerless Christian because now your life isn't, Lord, I'm going to obey you and serve you and pray confidently and go out and, and complete your mission. It's, oh, Lord, am I saved? Do you hate me? Do you even love me? Will you even use me? And so you live this life as this weak, powerless, doubting Christian. And John's saying, get your confidence up. Let's go. God loves you. He saved you. He's spirit empowered you. He listens to your prayer. Let's get up and go. I told a story when I preached on this passage how um, we went to paint at my brother's house when he lived in Florida, and I was nervous because the last time I'd painted, I was in like fifth grade, and I really painted myself, not the walls. And (laughs) Jaron told me, who um, is an athlete, he said, look, this is all you got to do. Tell yourself you're the greatest painter in the world, and you will be the greatest painter in the world. Well, that advice was the worst. I ended up getting 
paint everywhere all over his house. Anyways, anyways, they live here now. But the point being is you've got to get confidence that you are the whatever, and then you'll act like it. Well, scripturally, John's saying, man, get some confidence up that you are a child of God, that you are saved. It's truly possible, and your walk with Jesus is going to be that much better. Yes, and that confidence comes through the Word of God, and that's why it's so uh, important to read the Word. It's so important to stay in the Word. Mm -hmm. Look, if you want to figure out what your spiritual standing is, let God determine that. Yeah. Let God determine that. So where do I find out what God says about my spiritual standing? Go back to the Bible. And as long as my life is lining up with with what he says— there's my confidence. Doesn't matter what what I feel. Doesn't matter what the devil says. Doesn't matter what somebody else says. They criticize you're not much of a Christian. You know you you, you don't act like a Christian maybe because you made a mistake. And then people say you're not much of a Christian. Well, just because you made one mistake doesn't mean that you're not much of a Christian. Mm-hmm. It means that you're a human being who failed. But there is grace, and you go back and you ask for forgiveness, and you learn from it. That this isn't a license to just. Sin and then get forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Sin and get forgiveness. Sin and get forgiveness. I think then you're trampling on the on the blood of Jesus. Um, you need to value what He did and say, God, forgive me and help me. And you grow, and um, and then you can walk and live in assurance. I, you know, Evan, in the holiness movement, the holiness Pentecostal movement, because there's been such an emphasis on works too much. Mm-hmm. We've had people who literally have been terrified that Jesus Christ is going to come back with with the first Thessalonians 4 event which mm-hmm. we often call the rapture and that they're going to miss the rapture. Yeah. These are people who have served the Lord for years and they're terrified that they're just not going to be good enough. Yeah. It's not about being good enough. It, you're only good because Jesus makes you good. His righteousness is imputed or reckoned yep. to your account and you are transformed. It is just loving him and walking in his grace. And growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Yeah. That's good. The idea of Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, past, present, and future. He's not only wiped away your sins, but his righteousness, his perfect life has been given to you. So walk in that, walk in his grace, walk in his forgiveness, yeah. knowing um, that there's always more grace and that in the meantime, God is restoring you in the image of God day after day after day after day. And that is, that's the gospel. There you go. That's the good news. Yep. Well, look, I hope you've, that you have enjoyed this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed this two-part um, series, the first time we've ever done anything like that. If you would, go ahead, give us a rate, um, give us a subscription, share this podcast with somebody. Um, We hope that this has blessed you. Hey, I'm just going to go and throw this out there. This is just kind of on the spot. If you've got any ideas for a discussion, for an episode, uh, maybe a question that you would like to have answered, go ahead and um, DM us on through High Praises Instagram. So if you'll just search High Praises Church, we're located in Anderson, South Carolina. Give us a direct message on Instagram and um, just let us know a question that maybe you would want answered. If you're local to the church, feel free to send us an email, um, text, me or dad talk to us after service. You know what I mean? If, if you're a part of our community here, um, 
We're not going to promise that we're going to do it. So I just want to throw that out there. We're not going to go ahead and um, guarantee anything, but we would like to hear what are you interested in? What are you interested in knowing? What questions do you have? We um, might not do a whole episode on it, but maybe we can answer or something like that. I don't want to make any promises, but we would love to hear um, what you're dealing with, what you're thinking about, what you're interested in. Thank you so much. We will see you in a couple of weeks.